Hello and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I interview my very good friend, Paul Ramming, who is the founder and managing member of Foundry Capital, an investment management company. Paul is one of my favorite people on this planet. He is kind, generous of spirit, and wicked smart. I'm so excited to have Paul on the podcast because he has such great advice and he has a unique story of navigating a not-so-straight path of pivoting when things didn't exactly work out, which ultimately led him to a place that is hugely rewarding and fulfilling. In our discussion, we talk about his insatiable curiosity, willingness to try new things, and the importance of saving money. Paul has been my management advisor long before he officially had his own company. I trust Paul implicitly. If you're someone who's early to investing or is able to diversify among different portfolios, Paul and Foundry Capital is for you. I'm so happy to use Relatable to bring broader visibility to Paul. He is one of those best kept secrets, but this one really needs to get out. Whether you're a young adult or further along in life, this interview is for you. You'll learn something and be inspired to go after what you love to do. I'm so impressed with Paul. He's creating a significant legacy by helping his clients and their families to create a more secure and financially sound future. All of that and he's one hell of a good dude. Enjoy this episode. Let's start with you talking a little bit about, well, first I should say thank you for doing this. I think I've been hounding you for a while to, to be on here. So um, I appreciate you joining us on Relatable. Yeah. I'd love to, to start with you sharing with us what you do right now, right? What, like what your, um, you started your own business 10 years ago? Longer? Uh, it has been a little coming up on seven years. Okay. 2000, 2014. I'd love to chat with you a bit about that. And then we can maybe talk a bit about how that came to be. But first share sure. with us, you know, what your business is, what you do, what services you provide, all that good stuff. I call myself an investment manager, not a financial planner. Um, so I help people uh, invest their savings. Um, the majority of my clients, and I have a partner, so I'll say our clients, mm -hmm. are folks who a lot of times have left a job, have some money that's in a 401k, and just simply either don't know what to do with it or know what to do with it, but would still rather pay somebody else to manage that for them. Mm -hmm. So we have what we consider to be a kind of unique investment process where we help people roll their money over and then we'll put it to work in some mutual funds. Mm -hmm. uh, we try really hard to be transparent about our fees, about um, the investment results. Um, I come from one of my previous jobs was as an investment results analyst um, at a big mutual fund company. And so that's very much in my, in my wheelhouse. And I think that it's really, really important because, you know, if you don't know how well you've done, if you've been successful investing in the past, then there's kind of no way to be successful in the future or mm -hmm. even measure whether you've been successful. Right. 
And so it's so. interesting because I feel like I know for Paul and I, we both had several retirement accounts from previous employers that were just sort mm-hmm. of sitting in accounts that we, frankly, were not really doing anything with or really, we just, it was that whole thing when you leave a company and they say, you can leave it here with this provider, obviously it's still your money. And I know that when you went into uh, your own business or when you started your own business, it, it prompted us to take a look at all of that and say, hey, <laughs> maybe there's a smarter way to do this or or even be a little bit more on top of things and aware and be more proactive in terms of managing your money and your funds. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about this more. I think, you know, money's such a personal thing and finances and, and some people either seem to be, if I think about other couples or I think about, you know, there are some people that you can sort of put in one category that are super aware and handle they're very interested in what their money's doing and where their money is and are very savings aware and conscious right i always feel like there's these two like bipolar like there's those people and then there's the people that are sort of afraid of it and don't want to talk about it and kind of put your head in the sand and think like well i hope it's just doing what it's supposed to do and i don't really want to do much about it and i'll be honest i think we my husband you know we were in that spot um until we had conversations with you <laughs> and yep. you you really helped us to I think not be afraid of it right if that's even the right term but to the more you know the more you can do so I think yeah. from that perspective there's probably a lot of people out there that are similarly situated where they have money and they have them in some accounts and they just aren't necessarily proactively addressing that what is the uh, minimum requirement or what if, if someone wanted to talk with you about their situation is there a minimum in which people need to have in order to work with you and your partner right. so when we sort of conceptualized this company we really had people like friends and family in mind. Um, That's sort of always been the dream for me was to be able to help friends and family. And, you know, being in a highly regulated industry like we are, you kind of have to have a business structure in order to do that because the, you know, the regulators want to come in and make sure that everything from, you know, whether or not you even take custody of the funds. Um, right. You know, we don't, we ha- we use a custodian, you know, just basically a brokerage that they house all of the client accounts. But yeah, we, we really thought we want to be able to help friends and family. And so we made our minimum pretty low by industry standards anyway. Not that it's not a lot of money. It is. Our minimum is $50,000. Yeah. That is a lot of money. But by industry standards, it's, it's on the lower side. Right. You know, a, a lot of times, you know, you, you might see a minimum of, of a quarter million dollars right. or even half a million dollars to, to have, you know, professional professionals manage your money for you. Right. Right. And I think that's such a great component of what you all do. And for people that aren't in that next bracket or don't have that additional income to to that degree of a quarter of a million dollars, right? It still Mm -hmm. helps you feel like I think you can make an impact with what you do have. And then you and I have talked about too, as you've, 
grown with your client base, like your clients are growing and yeah. that 50 turns into other money, right? Or, or additional money, I should say, based on their own maturity and, and how things evolve for, for them in their own lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Or even they get it, they get comfortable with our investment style. You know, yeah. where yes. we have had a number of clients who start out and say, okay, you know, I'm going to give you this little starter set of money. We'll give you 50,000 or 100,000 and let's see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have some of those accounts that have grown into seven figures from yeah. there yeah. Um, because they've been satisfied, they've advanced in their career and, you know, bonuses or, or there have been more of those sort of windfall type events where yeah. they, they have a big, a big slug of cash that they, they want to invest and they're comfortable and they've already got the account set up, you know, so it's, it's, uh, I think that we don't have a lot of $50,000 accounts, to be perfectly honest, um, but we do have a number that started at $50,000 right. accounts. What would you say, or or is there a methodology or a way that you approach your investments? Is, there, is, that, is there something to what you do that differentiates you or makes you all a bit different, do you think? Yeah. So, well, you're, you're a tennis player. There was That's kind book. of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a book written that was called Winning by Not Losing. Mm -hmm. And it talked about the way that professional tennis players will win by hitting the kill strokes. Right. Like they'll, they'll win on offense. Whereas, you know, the, the amateur will win by not making mistakes. And so that philosophy is kind of what's woven into the way that we invest money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we say, if you want to use another sports analogy, a baseball analogy, we, we try to hit singles and doubles. Right. Um, and we don't try to hit a lot of home runs. And the, the, the other side of that coin is we also, you know, are less likely to strike out. Right. So it's just more of a, a little bit more of a conservative approach. Um, and we have clients who have money elsewhere um, and they use this as kind of their their sleeve, if you will, of, of conservative investments. Right. But we still, it's a mix of stocks and bonds, mm -hmm. um, U.S., non-U.S. Um, it's kind of an own, rather than, you know, trying to, to find the needle in the haystack, it's sort of own the whole whole haystack. That's a, that's a, a Jack Bogle term. He's the founder of Vanguard and ah. we use Vanguard funds. And so, you know, one of the things that we do that I think that we think differentiates ourselves is we do an analysis of whether we think the stock market in the U.S., for example, is expensive or inexpensive. Mm -hmm. And if it's expensive, we think that the risk of something bad happen, happening if there was a shock to the system means stocks would get hit harder than they would if they were cheap. Mm -hmm. And so we we tilt or we sort of tactically move between stocks and bonds and meaning conservative or, or, or aggressive or conservative with people's money. But we're never all in one asset class or all in another asset class. Right. You know, another analogy we use is, is an American football field, right, is mm -hmm. 100 yards. And if you think about the word stock being painted in the end zone on one end and the word bonds being painted in the end zone on the other end, we stay between the 20 yard line. So we're never hundred percent on one side or hundred percent on the other. We mm -hmm. kind of shift in 20% increments between the 20 yard lines. I have a question for you uh, in terms of how you all handle the difficulties of 
recent times, right? So I remember in March, I think I was reading about a lot of people being concerned about their own finances or their investments not doing very well. Um, and I'm curious, how did you all weather that that difficult period, right, in terms of mm-hmm. managing that? And how did you guys fare and how did your clients, how did your clients do? So 2020 was kind of a case study on, yeah. you know, how our approach can be successful. The market from, I think, February 19th to March 23rd of 2020, the market, the stock market, the S&P 500 yeah. um, dropped by about a third. I think it was about 34%. Right. And our clients were down a small fraction of that. Um, if you go from sort of the whole first quarter from the beginning of the year through the end of March, you know, U.S. stocks were down about 21%, non-U.S. stocks were down about 24%. And, you know, our primary strategy was down about 3%. And so that kind of gets back to that winning by not losing. Right, right. When you, when you don't, the way compounding works is when you don't lose a lot of money, you don't have to participate completely in the upside in order to still have a reasonable return over the full cycle. Yeah. And so, you know, at the end of March last year, we moved people from that 20 yard line, we were in a very conservative position onto the 40 yard line. And so we added, you know, more to stocks, US Uh and non-US stocks. And we kept people there, uh, kept our clients there for about six months through the end of September. And at that point we thought the market was getting frothy again. And so since then we've now been in the most conservative position again. Mm -hmm. And so as the market has just been on this tear from the bottom on March 23rd of, of 2020. Yeah. We've participated in some of that, right. but not all of it, but we've still the full, you know, sort of peak to peak, we've had a, a nice reasonable return. And, you know, I, I got calls from a number of clients who said, you know, I just, I'm so happy that our money is with you mm-hmm. because I sleep well at night. And, yeah. you know, when I looked at my account and I saw, oh yeah, the market's crashing, but my money is doing just fine. Yeah. It just gave me this peace of mind. And again, that was just super satisfying. I was just, I was actually, that was gonna be my follow-up question is, you know, did you get a lot of calls during that time? Like people, right, they, they're, the money, I mean, again, we've talked like it's such an emotional thing and, and it's scary when all right. of that's happening. and it's really out of everybody's control to some extent. And so right. that's great to hear that people were appreciative and it was positive and you, you know, yep. you didn't get it doesn't seem like you got a lot of panicked phone calls. No, I didn't. I, I try to stay ahead of it. Yeah. You know, so I send out quarterly updates. Yeah. Um, and I did, I think, two interim updates during that yeah, period you where, did. you know, the market was just having these limit down periods where they actually like the circuit breakers broke and they stopped trading for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I tried to just, again, back to the education, keep clients informed of what's happening, keep clients informed of how their account's doing. Um, and so no, really the calls that I got were just sort of thank you. Yeah. And it was great. That's awesome. Well, I can just, before we move on, I'll just say we're hugely satisfied with your <laughs> support and uh you know your help and if people are listening and they need some investment support you you guys it's foundry capital right or foundry cap yep yep foundcap.com is the website all right and we'll definitely put that on at the end too i'm curious did you always love money finances sort of economics right has this always been your passion is this something you always knew that you wanted to do 
I think so. Yeah, I've I've always had kind of an affinity for numbers. Yeah. I've always felt comfortable with the way that math works, where there is you know kind of a black and white answer. Although the investing world is totally different, yeah. you use a lot of black and white math, but there's a lot of art to it as well. Yeah. You know? So it's not just 100% science. But yeah, I've always been comfortable with numbers. I was an economics major in college, um, so that was sort of the route that I, I figured I'd somehow invest, end up in the investment world. And then in terms of leaving, and you can talk a bit about maybe some of your previous history and, and your your other jobs and experience. I know that when you went out on your own for just, I've known you a long time, and I remember you know thinking like, you're a pretty conservative guy and you're someone who at least when I met you in our what mid twenties, you, you had a plan and you Mm -hmm. were very specific about what that plan looked like in terms of your future had had great success in your professional career. And so I'm curious what prompted the decision to go out on your own and you know, how much of that would you say was like a pivot from, from the plan? Well, you're right. I I definitely was always a kind of stay between the lines type of guy and and had very linear, you know, had had a goal, took all the steps that I needed to, to to move myself forward toward that goal. You know, life throws things at you that you just have, you cannot predict, right? And so ours was um, when my oldest daughter was going into first grade, she got really sick. Mm -hmm. And Thank God she's fine now, and she was fine pretty quickly after that. But she was in the intensive care unit at the children's hospital for three nights, I think, um, and had you know months of physical therapy after that. And it just was like taking a snow globe to our lives and shaking it, mm-hmm. you know. And my wife and I, we we just kind of looked at our lives and said, we've got these these we have two girls, and at the time we thought, you know, we we've got a decade, a decade plus until they're out of the house, we wanted to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of looked at both of our careers and where we wanted to be. And it it just, I had always had this dream of of doing exactly what I'm doing right now. So it kind of made the most sense to, to take that risk, you know, take a big pay cut, but thankfully, you know, we, we were able to manage and I never looked back. It's been yeah. the best thing that's ever happened. And yeah. I sort of don't live my life as between the lines as I used to. And that's also <laughs> extremely liberating. Yes. And I think one component to the story that I think is an important one, and I think we'll get into this in a, in a little bit, but financially for you to be able to take that leap and to take that step had you created a situation for yourself where you had enough of a cushion that it didn't feel like so much of a leap and some parameters for you around this is how long we can do this and at this pace and hoping to achieve this financial goal, right? There's there's some methodology to it. You know, I think one of the things that you know, you taught me as an adult that hopefully as we talk here and in the future, do some other things together that we'll be able to help educate people earlier in their life about how to do some of this stuff. But you, you started saving really early, right? And tell me just a bit about that and how that factored into maybe saving for a rainy day, but how did that factor into your ability to, to make that leap? I did. <laughs> when I, when I graduated from college, I think I had 
a grand total of something like six hundred dollars yeah. that you know had been gifted to me by various family members, and I had a professor who was also a stockbroker, and so I went to him and I said, "Hey, I'd like to buy some stock," and he was like, "Okay, cool. With six hundred bucks, you can buy a few shares." And I still remember the companies. It was Coca Cola, Ford, and a company called Allied Signal, which is now I think part of Honeywell. He told me about this dividend reinvestment program where you know you actually buy shares directly from the company, and they literally send you paper certificates uh-huh. of stock shares of stock. Right. Um, and it was just fascinating to keep track of how those stocks did, and you know, reading a reading the annual reports that just you know they have to be sent to you. So they would come, and I'd read them, and they then I'd be interested in another company that might be one of their competitors. And I still hold that Coca-Cola stock. And I actually ended up buying in my 20s, you know, a whole bunch of Coca-Cola stock, a whole bunch meaning, you know, $50 a month or $100 a month. And it's just amazing how that compounding, you just get into a program where you start and say, okay, I'm going to do $50 a month. And then in six months, you don't miss that $50. And then you say, okay, I'm going to make it a hundred. And then you make it 200 and then you make it 400 and then you make it 800. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, a nice little savings Mm -hmm. pile of savings. Um, I was talking to someone that you and I were going to be chatting and and I was saying, here are the things I want to talk to him about. And and they said, you know, it would be great to ask him, (laughs) what would you say in terms of people and their ability to think this way or to be able to do this with their money or to like, I think some people automatically assume that if your parents are good savers, then you're a good saver. Or if Mm -hmm. your parents, you know, aren't, then you won't be, or if you haven't had a mall, right? And I think in a life, you know, at 50 now, I've seen all different types of people that have come from money and can't manage money or haven't saved money. And the other way that didn't have anything and have saved a lot and and are very smart with their money, right? So I'm curious in terms of the backdrop for someone being able to do this or, right? Like, what would you say is the right recipe or is there a certain type of person that can do this versus that, you know, in your experience? I don't think that there's any one path. I I, I think there are countless paths that people can take. Some people just are are drawn to it. They have a natural interest. Um, There's some technology now that sort of gamifies investing and saving. And I Mm -hmm. think that that can be actually really cool. I think that that can get people interested. And I'm not a huge fan necessarily of of like the Reddit, you know, Wall Street Bets message board where people are sharing account statements. And, you know, it sort of becomes more of like the the, the social media, look at me and how how great I'm doing. But the gamification piece of it, I think can can tap into some psychology, some some behavioral stuff that can be positive. And it's never too early to start, right? You would probably say. No, in fact, starting early is the best possible thing that anybody can do. Yeah. You know, th- 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 there's a million sort of studies and 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 charts and graphs out there that'll show you, you know, if you start early and invest say from age 20 to 30 and then never invest or never save again, and just let that money that you saved compound as opposed to starting at 30 and saving for the rest of your life. I think you know like which person's gonna be ahead at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I do think a big piece of it is education and 
back to what I said in the beginning, which is it's this emotional topic and letting go of whatever, this is my opinion, obviously, but I mean, you may have an opinion, but it's like letting go of baggage or letting go whatever that kind of emotional reaction is to money and look at it more mathematically, perhaps, or look Mm -hmm. at it in a way that is to your point around what is this, the data and the stats show you, and then having someone show you, right? Because I think honestly, for me personally, you know, I was very blessed in that I grew up in a household that where we weren't uh, hurting for money and we had what we needed and often had had more, but no one taught me about how to manage money and nobody taught me about investing money and nobody said, you know, I started working when I was 14. I've like always had a really strong work ethic, but no one said, take your check and let's cut it into these three parts. And right. Right. So I just earned it and I spent it and I earned it and I spent it. It's just right. Right. And so I think that, that you can't trivialize or dilute the importance of learning about yep. it or being yep. informed or figuring out what it means. And, you know, hopefully you and I will do more in the future where we can work with um, young adults on this topic, because I think there's a lot we can do and help them to get really started off in the right direction. Absolutely. That, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. So let's just backtrack a little bit because I'm I'm interested. I've known you so long, and so I feel like there's so much I want to ask you about, but we don't have forever to talk. But I am curious in terms of your kind of earlier life and you grew up in California and given what we were talking about before about you being a fairly like regimented guy and things maybe not always going as planned or you know I I think for someone that had a plan and you've had things that sort of required you to pivot and turn I'm curious if there's something that you would attribute to like a moment or like a challenge or something that allowed you to kind of let go of that a little bit or to be able to change and pivot and what that has meant for you longer term, right? Like mm-hmm. what what kind of downstream implication versus being kind of that prepared, like it seemed like things worked right very well, like you loved finance and economics, you majored in that you got a job in that, right? Like it starts to be that linear path. And then you're not in California anymore. You're here and and other things happen that maybe, and you, I know you also were pilot and took, you know, flying lessons. And so just tell me a little bit about how you've evolved from that, because I think there's a lot of people that find themselves in that same situation. I think for me personally, it was really just having an open mind and being willing to try things. Mm -hmm. I I think that, you know, you should never be fearful of trying something new, whether it's a hobby, whether it's, you know, following a dream. Um, You don't have to always just jump in with two feet. You know, you can kind of tread water a little bit and test things out. My dream originally growing up was to be a airline pilot. That was, you know, as a kid, I have my dad drag me down to the airport so we could just sit and watch airplanes take off. Uh, and 
I mean, to this day, I'm still a total aviation nerd and, you know, like yeah. have a flight simulator and <laughs> I've got a radar station that I upload data to the internet. And, yeah. Um, and so I was really lucky, you know, like you, um, I came from a family. I think one of the, the, the biggest gifts that my parents gave me was I was able to graduate from college without any debt. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for that. Um, and that really enabled me to try different things. Um, and so I had a job in college that had an end date. It was, um, you know, working for a presidential library that was opening up and, when that library opened, my job ended. And so I, I sort of six, eight months after I graduated from college, I never did the whole career path thing in college because I already had this job and I knew when it was going to end. And so I was kind of forced to figure out at that point what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so I got a job as a teller at a bank and I started taking flight lessons, flight instructing lessons or flying lessons. And, you know, it, it's, it's like anything else, you, you put yourself out there and you're, you're pleasant to people and you kind of be someone they want to be around. And so this flight school hired me to work in the office, kind of helping run the, the business. And in return, they gave me free flying lessons. And so I didn't have to pay for that. So I went all the way through, got my commercial license, became an instructor, started teaching there. And, you know, for a number of different reasons, that path sort of ended for me. Mm-hmm. And I was fine. It was it was the right move. And so from there, I then got a job with an investment company. Mm. And, and then that, that line in my life sort of started. Right. Um, but it, you know, it, it's trying different things, even hobbies, you know, I, I, at the time had a friend who was into rock climbing and I had never done rock climbing and, you know, he invited me out and we ended up like doing some pretty fun trips together and, and just, you know, always just being open to new experiences, I think. Do you feel like, uh, and this is a hard question to answer, I think, but I'm going to try anyway, um, <laughs> because you've always struck me as someone who's really confident and has I think that willingness to try new things the behind the scenes on that is that you feel like confidence that you can do them right there's like an element of maybe not always so I'm curious at least outwardly right you you Mm -hmm. you've always seemed that way to me and I'm curious how that was cultivated and Mm -hmm. were you someone that like even as a kid or you know just things have come naturally or is that something that you built over time, you know, through either like intention or there were moments where you could see that growing and developing. Yeah. I think you think I'm a lot more confident than I think I am, <laughs> first of all. Um, I, I think with each little success, you yeah. gain some level of confidence. You know, I, I think coming from a pretty stable home, you know, always feeling like there was a place to go, it, just that safety zone, that, like ha- having that safety net enabled me to try things. But no, I, I don't think I'm inherently a super confident person. I I, I am a curious person. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, you know, really willing to, to try things. Some of them I find out I really like, a lot of them I find out I don't, and, you know, that's fine. And then you just move on. But yeah. Do you feel like when you took the leap to start your own business, uh, how much of a risk was that for you? How nervous were you to do that? And what 
are some of the, you know, lessons learned, right? Because you're eight years in now. So what are some of the things that you've learned through that process that someone else could benefit from? Yeah, I think kind of, like I said, putting your toe in the water. I did all sorts of scenario analysis. You know, I had my spreadsheets out and, you know, figured, okay, here's how long we can last if I make $0. Here's here's how long this can go if I, if I make, you know, another amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and here are multiple pathways to get to these different levels of income. Um, and also, you know, satisfaction and seeing, I think I always sort of have felt like in a pinch, I could take my skills and, and kind of get more of a traditional job. I mean, right. I, 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 some, I guess in that sense, I've got that level of confidence. Right. But yeah, no, I, I, I think that I, I really just tried to be smart about it. I, I didn't just do it without thinking, you know, right. I, I, I ran the budget, I ran it out multiple years, I ran it out multiple different scenarios, you know, so that's kind of that between the lines piece of my personality, right, right. was able to apply that while still kind of taking a risk. And then what, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that you feel like would be helpful to anyone else that might be in your position and thinking about going out on their own or starting their own business, particularly kind of within the lane of, of finance? being a financial advisor, investor, you know. Yeah. For me, it was nice to have a partner, to not feel like I was doing it alone. Right. Um, And even to this day, my partner, he's in Chicago. We talk multiple times a week and, you know, I'll come up with an idea like, hey, I think we should present data this other way, or maybe we should rethink the way that we're, you know, running this particular type of portfolio or whatever. And yeah. I've got a person to bounce those ideas off of. So for me, that that was extremely helpful was to have another person along for the ride. And how much of what you do in terms of, if I think about, you know, financial acumen, and then that, of course, I sort of take that to like academics and, you know, were you someone that that came fairly easy to, you know, I'm curious about, I know, how much work you put into what you do. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in the, you know, for you academically, but then translating more to professional life, you know, how much of it is just naturally gifted and it just comes super easy and how much of it is hard work that you're putting it into it. I think this is going to be a, a, a trite answer, but it's something I like so much that I really would do it for free um, and and did do it for free. Uh, You know, even when I had more of a a corporate day job where I was in the office all day, I'd come home and sort of do what I do now all day at night for friends and family because it was enjoyable. I like, I really just, I like what I'm doing and there's always, you know, another angle, there's always another article to read, there's always another graphic to create that, you know, shares a story. And that stuff is just so rewarding for me. It's, it's, I really, I just like doing it. And the fact that I get paid for it is amazing on top of that. (laughs) And what would your advice be? Or what would you tell people that were in, in that other camp that are less interested they don't feel the same way that you do, yet they're earning money or they're have opportunities to manage it more proactively. What counselor advice do you have for for those people that are maybe afraid to engage or 
it's just not as interesting. So they don't address it. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely ask for help. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of resources out there now, thankfully. Um, I mean, there's whole foundations that are kind of dedicated to investor education. Right. Um, and you, you don't need to do, you know, too many Google searches to find some of that stuff. And there's some that's really high quality. Yeah. Um, and if you're yeah, in debt, I, like what if you're in debt? What advice do you have on that front? If, you know, a lot of us in college were prey to credit credit card companies and then before yeah. you know it right you're sort of behind the eight ball so yeah you know, what kind of i mean i think you just have to sort of look at it holistically it's it's yeah. hard to, to answer a question about just one aspect of, yeah. of a financial life um yeah. but if you look at it holistically and and say okay here's the situation i'm in right like you you can't undo the past you can't unring that bell so that this is where you are right how do we move forward and develop a plan yeah I mean, that, that that's the the ultimate thing is to have a plan and so you know figure out a budget that's a great place to start here's how much is coming in here's how much is going out and how can i change either side of that equation and then on the going outside, if you are in debt, you just, you need to chip away at it. Yeah. And that, that that's going to mean making some sacrifices somewhere else probably. Yeah. And I'm going to just tell the story because I think it's so funny that when Paul and I were first married, uh, we were in some debt. And so we chose to live with my mom so that we could take care of that. And at that same time, I think is when we started talking to you. And um, that was probably when you were helping us out for free. We were one of your side hustle people. <laughs> and I, you know, for whatever reason, numbers, math, money, I just was like, I, eh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I don't deal with it. And I remember you and I sitting down and you actually drawing like a diagram for me of like assets. Do you remember this? And you were like, oh, yeah. and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't really understand. And you're like, well, here's what an asset. I mean, it was really like, yeah. taking it down probably to a fifth grade level, um, maybe 10th grade level of economics, I don't know. But really, it was my own fear, frankly, of, of feeling stupid, of feeling at this point in my life, I should be more educated than I am. And then that is what held me back from really, yep. you know, thankfully, I had quickly invested in my retirement, because that's what someone told me to do. And I did it. And so that that, that part was decent. But the you know, coming out of debt and also just being able to talk about it and not be embarrassed about it and having you who's so non-judgmental, right? And that you're there. And a lot of people that I've met in your industry actually are that way, right? They really want to help. It's this interesting combo of like oh, yeah. the people side of it, really liking people and wanting to work with people. And then this, obviously the, the math and the number side of it. And so just not being afraid and saying, I'm yep. willing to have this conversation. Yeah. And I think, I think if I remember that conversation, the other thing that we talked about is, you know, saving off the top as opposed to, yeah. you know, when you do put a budget together, I mean, that the one, the one of the most simple things is, is if you wait and try to save what's left over at the end of the month, you know, you're not going to have much to save. Right. We figure out a way to spend it. Um, right. But when you, when it kind of gets back to the originally, you know, $50 a month into Coca-Cola stock, right. you do that off the top, you, you never miss it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com.
All right, then one other question about for for people. So my son just got his first job, mm-hmm. and he's now just getting his first checks. Right? They're they're mm-hmm. not big checks, but there's checks, and so. If you were going to give him a couple of pieces of advice or you were going to say, you know, you're 17, right? And so to start some of these habits, right? Because I think it's habit and discipline to some extent mm-hmm. with what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, what if you had to give three pieces of advice to him on what he can do or how she he should handle that, what mm-hmm. would you say? Well, first, I would say save some off the top. Yeah. Right. So with each paycheck, whether it's a percentage or a dollar amount, yeah. just kind of make a deal with yourself. I'm going to put away some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where what does put away mean? Yeah. You know, you could put it in a savings account and it's not really going to earn anything. Yeah. Um, and he's so young, you know, I, I would open up a custodial Roth IRA for him, you know, yeah. or, or when he's 18, he can do it himself. A Roth IRA is a great way to save when you're not making a lot of money. You know, as you as you make more money, you you phase out the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA. But you know, you you put in after tax money, but then you never pay tax on it again. Mm-hmm. It grows tax deferred, grows tax free, and even when you take it out down the road. So you know, if he started when he was 18 and had you know 45, 50 years of compounding he's going to have a lot, you know, it's going to help him with a down payment on a house. And it's very rewarding and satisfying, at least, you know, for me personally, when, when I started seeing, oh, my little $1,500 a month savings has now grown into something. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of, you know, self-fulfilling and it makes you want to do it more. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I would tell him to do that and he should, he should put it into socks. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he's at that age, he shouldn't be in, in a program like what we run for people who are in their, their 40s and 50s. Right, right. Um, and there's easy ways to do that. You know, there's Schwab has a thing they call stock slices where you can buy without paying a commission any of the, I think any maybe 30 of the 500 stocks in the S&P 500 for as little as $5 each. So he can kind of build his own little portfolio yeah. $5 at a time in companies that he's interested in. And then maybe he'll get the annual report from Apple or from Nike or from Under Armour or from whoever that he's interested in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that might kind of pique another interest. And yeah, so, I mean, I, so save off the top, mm-hmm. start an, a Roth IRA and also yep. play with stocks. Yep. Those are the three kernels. I, think, I mean, for a young person, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to go wrong, and and I wouldn't be too price sensitive about you know markets at an all time high, so right. I'm going to hold off and try and wait for a crash. It's like he's in an accumulation phase for the next you know forty plus years, <laughs> so he actually yeah. sort of if the market goes down, that's great. He buys more shares yeah. with each of his you know five dollar or fifty dollar investments. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, so the the one thing I've, I'll talk a little bit about, and I think it'll translate to or segue to to my other question, which is on the people side of this for you. Um, I mean, you're super friendly. You're, I would say, an extrovert, right? You're outgoing, and you um, it's like super easy to talk with you. So in terms of the 
kind of people aspect of what you do and how much fulfillment do you do you get from that part of it and what are some of the skills that you use right that are less of the what I would call like the financial acumen acumen or the hard skills of what you do right how much of it is um, are you using soft skills and if so what what are some that are important to you or that you think have helped you to be successful in what you're doing now? I think to be in, in our industry, you sort of have to like people, first of all, right. you know, you're, you're not pulled away, cranking out computer code someplace in a dark room, you know, you, you got to like being around people, being curious, you know, wanting to understand what sort of motivates a person, what their fears are, how you can help them alleviate those fears. You know, I, I'm very big on education, trying to educate my clients. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to know more, you know, with each quarterly letter that I write. I've got plenty of clients who hire us, you know, precisely because they don't want to learn more. <laughs> they just want to, to sort of outsource it. And that's right. great too. Right. Um, but I, I, I like trying to help people understand. And so it's, you know, you've got to be patient and you obviously have to be nice and you have to be well-spoken and, and present yourself professionally. Right. Right. And what is the feeling when you look at, you just take us for example, like you look at kind of where we started, right. And you mm -hmm. see that advance and you see that grow, right. And presumably, you know, you've talked a lot about a lot of your clients are people within your network, like your personal network. So there's friends and family, and obviously there's mm -hmm. maybe more of an emotional connection there. But even so, what does it feel like when you see that you've had direct impact on people, their savings and their retirement? How does yeah. that feel to you? It's incredibly rewarding. You know, I, I, we've we've got this year for the first time some clients who have, you know, kids going to college. Right. And so, you know, we help them with manage the 529, the college savings plans and being able to run those scenarios for them over the course of the past, you know, five, six, seven years yeah. and updating it each year and saying, you know, here's where you are, here are the potential you know, the, here are the scenarios, what you may end up having to pay if you go to this college or that college, and now seeing people in a position where, you know, that's going to be manageable for them is really rewarding. And that's a huge legacy, right? You know, I mean, it's amazing that you've had a part in the legacy of these people, right? And, and their kids and, you It's know. humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. And then lastly, I would just ask you about you know, given your experience now to date and you both your life experience and, and job experience and you're looking at young kind of 18, 20 year old Paul, maybe even younger, right? <laughs> and you have that the wisdom that you do today. What advice would you give him that would help him to navigate his life a little bit more easily, right? What What, what could you share with him that might alleviate stress and burden i think i think i sort of luck boxed into this but if i were to give somebody a young person advice it would be to you know surround yourself by with people who are better than you mm. i mean simply put yeah people who 
are better at something that you want to be good at, who um, you, you called me extroverted. I guess I'm extroverted. I love being around people, but I'm also like, I have a very shy side. I like small groups. I don't like big groups. Yeah. Somehow when I was in college, I just naturally gravitated to some people who had extremely big personalities and they kind of pulled me more out of my shell. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it's, I think maybe don't surround yourself with people who are exactly like you, even though that might be the temptation. Mm -hmm. It's so funny you say that. I was just talking to someone yesterday about someone was asking me about, you know, what have I, what have I learned in terms of leadership, in terms of my own experiences when I was a new leader and less experienced and as I matured. And the first thing I thought of was when I first led a team, I was I was attracted to people like me. And so I gravitated yeah. toward those people. And the biggest lesson was, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> You've already got one of you. Right. <laughs> Not that you can't have people in your team that are like you, but but really that recognition of the person that is most opposite you is maybe the person that's going to bring the greatest diversity of thought or might bring something that you aren't prepared for that's really healthy for the dynamic of whatever you're trying to do. And so, you know, being observant of the kind of people you're attracted to or the kind of people that you pick to be in your life, right? Like you don't realize what an important uh, opportunity that is because who you pick and who you surround yourself with is sometimes a reflection of who you are too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, Warren Buffett also says, you know, one of the most important decisions you can make is who you marry. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And for me, I would not want to be married to somebody like me. Right. <laughs> you know, I want to be married to someone <laughs> who I love dearly and who I'm compatible with, but who brings a lot of different things to the table. Yeah, for sure. And you picked a good one. Let's just put say sure that. Did. We did. And then one thing I just thought of too, uh, before we close out, because you are someone who is so curious and I feel like you are someone who is so good at you know, reading and researching and learning. You know, my husband would say, man, I love talking to Paul because he always knows a lot about a lot of different topics and that, you know, makes you a good conversationalist and someone that I think you have a lot of interest, right? But I am curious about your own curiosity and how much of that you have, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you, you've spent time curating that or developing that. You realize that that is this avenue to other things, right? How much of that is intentional or just, again, yeah. is it like, oh, I just kind of came out of the womb that way? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that it is intentional, almost to the point where it's too much sometimes, um, yeah. where I find myself having not read a fiction book in years, right? Uh -huh. And yeah. so I'm reading so much nonfiction because I love learning about everything, yeah. any topic, right. um, you know, there's no topic is, uh, is not of interest to me. So I think I almost have to cultivate sort of that creative being willing to, you know, read a book that's fiction. Um, I'm still going to find something where I've learned 
something in the real world from it. Right. But just right. kind of that escapism, mm -hmm. I think, is important. But I think, again, it's it's like anything else. You, you try new things and you find yeah. out that's really cool to learn that. And so, you know, you, you, you try another new thing. I, I was at a oyster shucking uh, event, you know, six months ago. And, and our friend who brought these oysters um, was shucking them and putting, you know, sauces on them and making them delicious. And we were sitting around a fire pit and he was serving them to us. And I got up and I was like, hey, teach me how to do that. And someone made a comment that, you know, God, Ramming's always just wanting to learn something new. And it was a huge compliment to me. Yeah. You know, I, I just sort of instinctively got up and was like, oh, that's something I don't know how to do. So now I yeah. want to go learn how to do that. I think, too, the learning and the curiosity, I also think there's a connection to preparedness with that. And I, I, I'm such a believer in as you're building skills, as you're building knowledge, you know, as, as people are refining or becoming more expert in something like the more you know the more prepared you are you know the better you are at that thing whatever it is and so I think there's nothing like you can't really even the value of that of that interest to learn and to be curious it really can serve you in so many ways and I I do believe there's probably there is a direct correlation between that and being successful because I think it just there's a connection point there where that preparedness then easily turns into, you know, now you're doing this thing that you love and it doesn't even feel like work anymore. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. And it well, builds the confidence. It's like a, this virtuous cycle. Yeah. You know, you, you try new things, you're successful at them. That builds confidence. You want to try more new things. Totally. And then so, even yeah. with there's mistakes or you fall along the way because you've, practice a lot of different things you the over under on that right you you feel like you can go do the next thing because there's more of that than there is of the trips and the falls absolutely yeah yep yeah. so remind us uh, the best way if people are interested in working with you mm -hmm. and want to know more about your services what's the best way for people to find you so our website is foundcap, F-O-U-N-D-C-A-P.com. My email address is at the bottom of the page. My mm -hmm. phone number is at the bottom of the page. Um, I post five new articles every week, every Friday to the website. Cool. And I also send out a MailChimp newsletter um, yeah. with those five articles. So anybody can go to the website and there's a, there's a link there if they're interested and just kind of seeing stuff that I find interesting. That's awesome. um, it, there's usually two or three finance investing related and then, you know, a couple of just total wild card technology, travel, science, health, you know, just interesting articles I've read during <laughs> the week that, that I like to share. I love it. And given that you're this like master consumer of information, like you've synthesized it to the it's most a little curation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's fun. Well, this was fun and it went by Thanks really fast. Me. Thanks yeah. for being on. I love it and I Absolutely. appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul Ramming. What a joy to have you on the podcast. Love your advice about taking money off the top before you spend it. Love your counsel on trying new things and being open to both liking them or not and moving on if you don't. 
and love your insight on how saving at an early age compounds for a nice nest egg when you need it. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and thank you to our relatable community and listeners. We're so thankful for your support and listenership. If you get a moment, please subscribe to the Relatable Podcast, rate us and leave comments. We can be found on your favorite listening platform. Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates. You can follow us on Twitter and the TFA Facebook page. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.